Is this mic turned on? Wax poetic. Hi, kids. I'm a dinosaur hunter BMX rider. All the little girls dream of one day biting into a corn dog and smiling at the camera. If I ran the web, you could email dead people. Wax poetic. And I don't give a moment's focus to who does or doesn't like the sound of my voice. In the terrarium is herpes. Herpes is a hermit crab. Just say no to family values. This is Wax Poetic on Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. So what if I write a poem like a song? Good afternoon and welcome to Wax Poetic on Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. I'm one of your hosts this afternoon, R.C. Weslowski. And I'm your other host, Pamela Bentley. And our guest today is Johnny D. Trin. Hi, Johnny. Hey, how are you? Excellent. Nice to have you here. Thanks. I'm so glad to be here. Haven't uh, actually seen you out in the world in a while, so it's nice to have you get to organize it this way and have you here in our studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen you both, but you haven't crossed paths. It wasn't at the same no. time. We've been in and out. I've been in and out of the Vancouver traveling, doing touring and whatnot, so it's been oh, uh, good we'll to get back in. we'll have to talk in. some more about that. Oh, sure, yeah. Cool. Okay. Uh, so we'll uh, have you start our show off with a poem, please. Okay, let's do it. Start. Okay. Chicago Nye. Nothing to be done. It's 1941 and off the coast, ships come crashing in and bombs descend, creating history. It's Pearl Harbor. Meanwhile, in Canada, we say, Gong Gong Dim Gai. Grandfather, why? Why can't we stay by the sea? And he says, Because we remind them too much of the beach. And in that moment, terror is born as voices on the CBC guide us to concentration camps outside Calgary and turned indefinitely because of fear. It never goes away. Chicago got nothing to be done. It's 1979 off the coast of Cambodia. My mother swims my cousins to shore in bags of trash because pirates have taken our ship again. It's Vietnam and we say, Banoi, Thai Sao. Grandmother, why, why can't we stay in Saigon? And she says, hush. Our orange-covered cries remind them of too much of their democratic dream lost, so it's best if we hide in the snow and wait for tomorrow. Chicago and I, nothing to be done. About the use of 9-11 to foster fear instead of a harbor faith, falling back on an American tragedy, falling like bodies who hoped they could fly. No one heard the voices of love online that said, baby, it's been a bad day at the office. I love you. We've hit some turbulence. I love you. I'm not going to make it home tonight. I love you. I love you. I love you always. I love you. Love me well that day, but we were waiting for the next warning sign to duck, and they played duck, duck, goose. Chicago and I, nothing to be done. It's 2014, and in the service of an Orthodox God with the face of a white man, he writes in big, bold, black letters, it's okay to kill the gays since they're not human anyway. And I just stand here to fight for my God-given right to love a man. They fight for their men-given right to kill one and another one and another one and a hundred other ones. It's Chechnya as they prepare for the next concentration of hate. Oh, but wait, we create hashtags. Hashtag bring back our girls. Hashtag to Russia with love. Hashtag love is louder. Hashtag say better effing things because I don't think a hashtag can change the world. Chicago got nothing to be done. It's 2014 and from the coast, ships come crashing in and bombs descend erasing history. It's Gaza, it's yesterday. We're running on the sand playing footy in the beach until we're running away because I see them aiming at us. Bang. In a hotel 
hospital floor. I can't tell if it's a whisper or a scream. When I say, Grandfather, I can't hear. Grandmother, I can't see. Mom, where's my ball? The only thing I can remember. Meanwhile, across the rubble, these men cheer. Faceless to me as I am nameless to them, and I wonder, if they only knew my name, would they blame me any less for bleeding? Chicago and I, nothing to be done. It's 2016, 2017, 2020, 2050. It's Paris, it's Beirut, it's London, it's Chicago, it's Nairobi, it's Regina, it's Prince George, it's Charleston, it's Charlottetown, it's Orlando. It's Orlando. It's every time the military need to sell their used weapons of mass destruction to blue ball boys who need new toys to protect us. Chicago got nothing to be done. But remember, the dead for the dead can do nothing. And maybe it's time we considered that we've done enough. Maybe it's time for all the hands and the banks and the fingers on the triggers to put the pens down and for a time, do nothing. Thank you. Hmm. You're reading from a chapbook. I am reading from a chapbook because I'm super about, nervous. And that, no, I wasn't a, it wasn't a judge. It was just like, I want you to tell me about the chapbook. Tell our listeners about the chapbook. Sure. Uh, this chapbook is called Behind the Glitterati. It's my fourth <laughs> chapbook, I think. Uh, and this poem actually is, is an evolving piece that edits a lot. Uh, originally, the piece Chicago and I was um, inspired by, I was cast in a play by Ellen Waterman um, called uh, The Kamloops Kid. And I was playing the... Uh, Noyue, who's the only Canadian ever to be tried for war crimes. And he was a Japanese Canadian who um, suffered a lot and was uh, not well, mentally ill and whatnot, and uh, did, tortured a lot of people. And so uh, the phrase Shikaraganai is a phrase that many Japanese Canadians, Japanese people used, it means uh, it cannot be helped or nothing to be done uh, as their kind of coping mechanism. So mm. uh, I, I, this piece was just derived from many, obviously, narratives of people struggling and migrating and being moved unwillingly uh, to survive. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so Behind the Glitterati is uh, my latest one. It's pretty fun. That's probably my favorite one. Most uh, current work there. Yeah. The, the chapbook is the, the fun. Yeah. 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 Because I did note you said it's you, you edited, you've edited that piece. And yeah. I noticed because you're sitting right beside yeah. me, I could see that there were parts you were skipping and there were things that you yeah. were, it's like, oh, that's why, that's one of the reasons I wanted to ask mm -hmm. about it. Um, but is it your most recent one? It is. It is my most recent one. But actually, my most recent foray in publication and whatnot is actually my latest album. Uh, mm -hmm. It's called Hashtag Undeniable. And, and uh, you are. <laughs> Thank you. It was actually inspired by a conversation you and I had uh, way back when. Uh, we were talking about um, this phrase of the, the term locating ourselves. Mm -hmm. as, as many artists, activists, and people, we say that a lot. You know, how do we locate ourselves in this difficult, challenging maze of a world and whatnot? And I feel like that's such a selfish thing. Mm -hmm. I think that we need to be more active and... Uh, and think beyond ourselves, see beyond ourselves. We have to know that we're there. And I think mm -hmm. that there's a lot of erasure happening across the board, which is what I'm really feeling lately. And uh, so having that locating yourself, but then like doing something. Because who are we talking to here? Um, they, this, uh, the other part of undeni hashtag undeniable, which is available from my website, mm -hmm. .com, mm -hmm. is that it, um, when I first, when I went to my first Pride in like the early, like, 2000s. It was all about unity and you can't stop us and you know togetherness and these recent years it was like you can sit with us and all these things, right? But really what are we, what are we saying? What are we 
We are saying that we are not, you cannot deny us. We will be here. We will stay here. We have always been here. We have started much of this work. And, uh, and so that's where that came from. So, yeah. Um, the, that, yeah, well, it, you know, the first Pride I ever went to was in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of the, those chants, we're here, we're queer, yeah. you know, like that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. um, there's been that undeniability. And, yeah, that conversation that we had about locate yourself, I saw it more as, like, knowing where you stand. And we, you were saying, oh, but it's also interpreted as positionality, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, meant, you brought the, the word erasure, and I know that's a word that you use fairly often mm-hmm. can you explain a little bit more like can you say more about how you feel that erasure and and how it and maybe how it affects your work as well yes and this is going to be challenging and problematic so i am opening my dms to dialogue and discussion i feel erasure in the sense that as uh, people of color we are often we are marginalized uh, and especially within our community here in the Vancouver poetry scene as a kind of very concentrated microcosm of that, uh, many of us who are marginalized join together to speak and share space. But so even then, we live in a very gendered and power line-driven space that is unequal and uneven uh, and with absolutely no negativity towards the major important movies like Black Lives Matter or a lot of the indigenous activists fighting for the missing murdered indigenous women. All these are really important, big things because literally you're being murdered in the street. Mm-hmm. But uh, as an Asian Canadian, as Chinese, Vietnamese, Canadian, uh, whatever that means to me now, which I'm not quite sure, uh, there's so much set aside. We are set aside in the sense of like, yo, you know, if I say something, where can I create space to share that space with you? Like, mm-hmm. I, there's too often a comparative level of trauma mm-hmm. and, and uh, saying, well, you don't have it as bad at us, as us, and we need, you need to stand with us. And then times when we, a great example actually is, I've talked about this before in, in previous times, is that Paris is Burning is a queer documentary and it really highlighted the black, queer, and Latino cultures in New York City as one of the last, one of the few archives of our culture developing. And of course, with the horrific onslaught epidemic of HIV, a lot of artists were wiped out. So it makes so much sense that for a lot of queer people of color now, we're drawing back on those languages, we're drawing back on that documentary and other references like it to try to find our own identity. So there is an, this appropriation of that, but also a co-opting of that, but also an ownership of that, an affiliation with that. But then where do we actually fit in, you know? Mm-hmm. Where are we actually present to speak? Uh, right now, with the incredibly challenging, sad, horrific, racist, supremacist stuff that happened in mm-hmm. Charlottesville, there's, among all of among my Facebook feeds and Instagrams and everything else, it's so polarized in the sense of like, hey, white allies, you need to do this right now. And maybe not make it about yourself and maybe not talk about it. Mm-hmm. All those things are true. And then people call you to stand together and do this thing, right? But then... So many of us other others, we kind of fit in this weird gray zone mm-hmm. where um, the rhetoric from films like Get Out, very appropriate, very honest, very true, the, the placement of the one Asian male character in that film. You know, like, we as people are often complicit in anti-blackness. What can we do to actively fight against that? Mm-hmm. Where do we fit in with the work? Because there's a lot of work to be done. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Thank you for answering that so thoroughly. 
Yeah, that is, that's. I mean, that is a tough place, and then it's like history as well, right? Mm-hmm. You want to, you want people to know the history because when people do, when you do have that comparison, and it's like, oh, you don't have it as well. Then historically, uh, in Canada, you do have it as bad, right? I mean, there was the the head tax. There was like the treatment of the Chinese that were brought over just to work on the railroads, and then just treated like they were. Wage slaves, really. I mean, if they got paid at all. So, yeah. I mean, it's if we forget that history, then yeah, it does look like it's a little bit easier. But we can't forget that history. I think that what's more, yes, that's very true. Thank you for that. And I've definitely referenced that in some of my works before. Maybe something I'll read later today if we have time. Uh, excuse me. I remember in uh, high school, I it was my first experience with death, and. Uh, one of the few people that was kind to me in high school was this really incredibly beautiful person. Her name, her name was Michelle Risi, and she passed away uh, from uh, meningitis. I, I went home and I was in tears and I told my parents. So first, I'm like, I rarely talk to them. So I was like, Mom, Dad, hey, someone died. And they were like, well, that's what happens. It was not the response I was expecting. And though they have never released me, they left me alone to grieve mm. because... They were so familiar with death. They were so familiar with that, uh, with losing people and seeing people die in the street. I think that for a lot of immigrants of all marginalizations who are familiar with war and death and not being let into a country and not being welcomed back into a country with a risk of imprisonment, uh, sometimes like that, that's, they know that. Mm-hmm. There's a familiarity, familiarity. It's like there. a fatalism in a way. Yeah, and it's uh, it's very challenging. It's very real, and so sometimes it's about honoring and recognizing their silence. It's like when you perform mm-hmm. on stage and the audience is like really quiet. You're like, oh, are you with me? And they're totally with you. Just that yeah. they're processing differently because you are triggering and accessing different parts of them, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so you've got something from your new album on mm-hmm. your uh, phone that you're gonna you would like to play. Why yeah. don't we do that before sure. we run out of time? Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, sure. This is a piece that I wrote. Uh, it's called Father's Day, and the um, musician Noah Walker, who's an amazing, yeah. amazing session guitarist, played on it. I think it speaks for itself. So I'm just gonna play it. All right. And then you can uh, yeah, we'll talk about it after. Yeah, sure. It's- you say you're my father. Sometimes I don't know what that means. It breaks your heart to hear these words, but absence too long leaves me more forgetful than fond. Too many years trying and fighting to distance myself from your face in the mirror. All I've accomplished are thousands of kilometers between us, and not a single success can measure up to the failure to run away. Each monthly holiday, long weekend, festival is timely coincidence. For every Facebook reminder of sad memories that make up the vast space between you and I, I succumb to the finding of each happy memory that just won't quit. I pick up the phone. Voicemail to voicemail after voicemail. Happy Father's Day. Full stop. I miss you. Period. I will visit next week. Silence. I hope you're well. Lingering silent. Dial tone. You pick up the phone. Hello. I'm fine. We are okay. Talk later. I want to talk to you so much. I have so much to say. I worry about you. You need to get things going. You need, you need, you need. Okay. Bye. Click. On screen, on paper, 
in black and white. It is a brief conversation full of terse intentions, but only you and I know the novel inside every word, between every letter, this fatherhood that refuses to relent. This same fatherhood that refuses to unpunish, that constantly forgives me because I fail to meet your expectations of what you believe to be happy. This same fatherhood that constantly rebukes you because you fail to mold me, no, force me to meet your expectations. You say you want me to be happy. Happy in your eyes. I've long since left the periphery of your gaze. All we have are photos of us when I still looked like the son you wanted. On screen, in black and white, in full color, only you and I know the film inside every forced smile and clenched fist, this prodigal son rebellion that no amount of financial support can redeem. You were raised by war's deliberate hand, but I never saw the side of you that held me at birth, that cradled my sickly infant self in one palm, between jobs, with no sleep. I was an infant. I remind myself, this same hand that slapped the queer out of me, this same hand that slapped the shame into me. My heart burst when you said I should find a partner. I didn't know you knew the word. My heart broke when you said I needed a wife. Nothing worse than watching hope slip from your grasp. My actions feign denial of love for you. Your actions feign denial of what you know of me. So we sit with miles of denial between us until we meet again for yet another goodbye. I stand at the departure gate. You stand by mother. Sister hugs me. Mother looks away, counting the parking meter, rushing us. I shake your hand. You shake mine. The only time we touch without hitting. I try to rewrite the memories of your palms. I fail. I'll see you when I get back. Pause. Waiting for the day I never have to come back. Thought. See you. I never wanted you to be, but one day you will understand, thought, silence, I love you, thought, silence, I love you too, thought, you say you are my father, sometimes I don't know what that means, but you say you are my father, as if I could ever forget, say you are my father. So I pick up the phone again. Our guest today on Wax Poetic on Vancouver Co-op Radio CFRO 100.5 FM is Johnny Trin. And that was a piece from his album, Hashtag Unbelievable. And where can people get that? It's Hashtag Undeniable. Undeniable. Sorry, it's not okay. unbelievable. It's okay. You're unbelievable, that I said too. That. <laughs> yes, it's thank, true. Thank you. Yeah, that, um, I, that piece is really beautiful um, and undeniable. Thank you. And I love the ending where it, you're going to keep trying. You pick up the phone again. You pick up the phone again. Well, until someone dies, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Do you... Do you have, uh, I was just thinking while I was listening to that, um, is there something that 
you have in your mind or your heart that if your father said or did something, it would go, it would open something else up in the relationship to go, oh, okay, we can we have, bridge something or? It's, it's interesting because... Yes, this is on my latest album, uh, available on uh, johnnydavidtrin.com, because I'm going to answer that question. But as artists, we write, I mean, you, everyone here in the room here is quite established in their art, is that things are temporal, right? So this represents a time in our lives that okay. we visit and come back to a lot. Uh, my father does amazing things. He's an amazing human being, and we have worked so hard to... to to connect and that's why we keep trying because mm. if he wasn't trying then why would it bother right so uh, to answer your question he does any number of things he does cool. like every phone call even though they're short literally I know what he's saying right so uh, yeah I am deeply uh, loving of my father and what he's done for us for sure yeah um, the second thing I thought when listening to that is if you were going to be a father is that what would you take um from him to be a good father, and what would you do to be better, or you know, or improve on it? I, <laughs> I would work. I can't answer that question. I feel like he did everything. He does everything that he can possibly do within the framework we talked about. Mm -hmm. Coming from a war, coming from what everything he's been through. Uh, to raise us like I wouldn't be here I would not be the Johnny D. Trin that you have in front of you without all the experiences so what did he do for us he loved us so much and anything he did everything was out of a place of love which makes it so difficult right I mean so to do opposite would be like I'm gonna be hateful no I'm not gonna yeah. be hateful I would work to not shame my children but if that's how you're raised that's what you know sure that's how all these alt-right Nazi people are yeah. raised to fear and it's, the thing is my my current soapbox is this when you mm -hmm. are afraid you are selfish you protect your own so as a parent when you think you're harming your child better you harm them than someone else you're trying to protect them he's been trying to protect me since before I was born so uh, yeah that's my answer to that question yeah yes. well I, Go ahead. So I was going to say that I guess I maybe I didn't answer the, ask the question um, correctly is that I'm also curious as to what good things you would take from what your father gave you as to, to go on to, if you were going to become a father as well? Oh, I'm very much like my father in that sense. Uh, the tireless. We are people that work. Where I have, it was funny, my, it's interesting. Both my parents wanted me to have a better life than them, and yet the things I took from them were quite funny. My uh, mother says that, well, she's she writes poetry, and uh, she loved to sing. And then uh, she's like, I didn't want you to do those things. Why'd you do those things? And I became a poet <laughs> and a singer. And then uh, my dad, like, they both have worked literally four or five jobs all their lives, and they wanted it easier for me. But of course, what am I going to do? Work four or five jobs to make ends meet. Uh, we, and we always come through. Thank you, Jesus, for that. But we always have... Uh, made it through and so the tenacity and the will and that drive to work is what I take from my father for sure yeah so love you dad hey cool thanks I also noticed in that piece that it it sounds very much like a scene there's mm. dialogue and I know that you write plays as yeah. well mm -hmm. um, do you do you decide on a scene and decide it's going to be a poem or decide that it's going to be, would this piece, for instance, sometime get folded into a longer piece in the future? Like, how does that, how does that work in terms of what format you choose or what genre you choose? I think that's really dependent on 
it's the content of the content, right? The context of the content. Some things lend better to scenes. My background, my, my, my first entry into spoken word was through theater and through dialogue and writing text. I, I wrote this play called Sometimes Why, and it was uh, really well received and won a few awards, got produced and all these things. Uh, and, uh, and I feel like with spoken word, you're always talking to someone. You always want something. So this piece was very clear that it was meant to be that way. Um, I think that when things turn into longer plays is when there's much more narrative and story. And I think also, actually, that there is a bit more freedom uh, and liberties within playwriting where you can much more adopt other characters and create more things. Uh, I'll say that because in contemporary spoken word, my opinion, you can agree or disagree, uh, people are very much focusing on autobiographical, autoethnographic performance and writing from a place of self and using your own narratives, right? Uh, I think that we have the ability and power to do more than that, but I recognize why it's important to do that right now because there's this immediacy and truth that's in that one moment. So, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So if I need to write something more fantastical, I might write more of a theater thing. And if I write something much more personal, then it might more likely be like this. Um, so I'll give it up to you. Do you want to read one more piece for us or continue just chatting? Because um, we're running out of time, and we've probably got time for another three-minute long-ish piece. Oh, I don't know if I have that. Let's just keep chatting, then. I don't know. I want to risk just, want. Yeah, let's hear I would prefer. I would not prefer. I would <laughs> sure, like to yeah. hear so. Sure, okay. Um, this, we've got time. Okay, we'll do this piece here. This piece I do a lot, and it is called... Uh, tunnels Underneath the Floors. It was based on my time in Regina, really understanding this idea of interracial relationships and the history and what we bring to a relationship, the history of your skin. There you go. You revel and worship in your high canopy cathedrals. High in the hill of wilf ignorance, yours is a glass house, transparent denial, and two-way mirrors installed the wrong way. Living in closed-gated communities of sordid and sordid class, and yet I fall for you. I follow you. I come and go for you through the back door, through tunnels, underneath the floors, unseen, unheard, but you know, and I know, but all that matters is that you wake up serviced in the morning and at twilight. I was raised to love your skin, to believe you to be beautiful for your hair, your face, the length of your bones. I resist. I will not be defined by my proximity to you, because you are not the status quo, and I have always been an overachiever. You want to run. You want to hunt. You tell me you love me but need to see other people. I race along as your hound and howl as you find other conquests. You're on a horse, and I'm on the ground sniffling out your next version of me. My passive aggression, feigning acceptance of your vagrant libido only proves to make me uglier to you. My resigned, resilient commitment to us melts to quiet, clinging desperation that only makes you run faster and tear harder from the only family I ever chose, and you ask me why. Because I'm not your best anything. Because I am your summer in the villa, and you are my winter in the prairies because I have so much more to lose than you. I can't love you because there aren't other options. It doesn't matter that you can cry to your mother every time our home breaks a little more each day. It doesn't even matter that I am left cleaning the debris because my mother lives a lifetime away in some foreign Chinese closet waiting for citizenship. I love you regardless of your shade. I will always be grateful to you for teaching me to read in this backward tongue, left to right, up and down, lapping up the rim of anything and everything you're willing to expel. Isn't that right? I'd do a good job for you. I lay this track weaving my story into your map, playing along for far too long within the edges of your design, waiting to discover your flag planted on the frontier of me. I do good job for you. I bow down to you, kowtow to you, appropriate this land, taking the blame and wearing the interment since I am an alien anyway. I do good job for you. 
I run this camp like I run this dominion. I need the original CIA Chinese Immigration Act, caging myself in metal rails, paying $50 for head. I'd do a good job for you. I brave this cold so you can deepen your reach, seeking earthy bones, gold as my skin, divining earthy blood, black as my hair and crude as my frostbitten limbs. I'd do a good job for you. I bury my dead brethren in honor of the empire, dreaming of my days of the new republic. In all your queer queenly monarchy, I'm but one ladyboy in waiting to do a good job for you. I'd do a good job for you. I'll die because of you. I do for you. I die for mine. I do. Thank Johnny you. D. Tran, our guest this afternoon here on Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. Our show is Wax Poetic. If you would like to listen to the show, if you're just tuning in and you would like to listen to the show or listen to it again, you can go to our archives at uh, cooperadio.org and look up Wax Poetic and uh, tune in there. If you want to hear more of Johnny Tran, you can hear him tonight live because he's, oh, he's not going to be part of it. You're both getting thinking, no. So I had no time to save that. So I'll just have to say I am mistaken about that. But tonight there is a Cascadia slam between the team, uh, local slam teams. And that's why I wanted to mention it because Johnny Tran is part of the Vancouver Poetry Slam team this year. So you just recently moved here and you're on the team already. It was and, amazing. Yeah. yeah. And so you have been representing... And you said you've been in and out of the, the city um, on tour and everything, so... Yeah, I just did, I came back from a little tour through, through uh, Washington. It was great, and I've been, I just got back from this amazing literary arts festival, the Saskatchewan Festival Awards mm -hmm. in Moose Jaw, which is, everyone should go to it. It's probably the best one run festival I've ever been to, outside of our own. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then gearing up for uh, this October before the Canadian Festival of Spoken Word, I'll be doing touring through Ontario, through, uh, um, I think, uh, London and Guelph and uh, Burlington. Uh, Hamilton and uh, and Toronto, so it's pretty exciting. Yeah. Cool. So if you're listening from elsewhere, you have other times to see Johnny, uh -huh. and you can go to his website, johnnydavidtrend.com, yeah. to get information about where he will be when. Thanks so much for having me. So I've already mentioned the Cascadia Slam, which is tonight at mm -hmm. uh, Cafe Du Soleil. Do you want to say anything about that? That'd be amazing art there. No, you did. Okay. Uh, tomorrow there is a wheel slam via the Tricycle Poets at the Roundhouse Community Center from 7 to 9.30, and it'll be impromptu poems. Um, and on Saturday, August 19th, North uh, New West uh, Pride Poetry Slam on Columbia Street from 4.45 to 6. Sunday, also in New West, Poetic Justice, Aslan Hunter and Jeff Nilsson will be at Boston Pete's at 11.30 for the Poetic Justice reading. And at 2 o'clock in New West, it's the annual mega open mic at Heritage Grill run by Poetry New West. Cool. And April 19th, or August 19th, which is Friday? Mm -hmm. uh, Andrew Warner is having a, a chapbook launch at Cafe de Soleil, so you can check out Andrew. And uh, no, August nineteenth, Saturday. Sorry. So on August nineteenth, and uh, Cafe de Soleil, and it'll be a chapbook launch, and the youth team will be performing there as well. So we'll uh, see them all over the place. All right, that's it. That's it. That's all we have time for. Thank you. Thanks, Johnny, for being our guest today. Oh, I'm so glad I really made it. Cheers. Uh, I'm RC Weslowski. I'm Pam Bentley. No apologies necessary is coming up next. You've been listening to Wax Poetic on Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. So what? So what? So what? So what?